Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. Now, I want to tell you, uh, someone asked me, they said, hey, are you sick? And they asked me this out front, which is always the kind of question that you're like, I tried everything I could not to look sick, right? I tried, if you go, if the, what's worse is when they say, you look sick, and then you're like, well, you look sick, right? <laughs> and you get into the whole your mom discussion, whatever you do from there. But uh, yes, I'm not, I'm, I went to the doctor yesterday, and they said, it's not contagious, you have a sinus infection, and he said, it's just going to hurt for a while. And then I got on medication. So I'm just letting you know, I'm praying that God's spirit comes through me, but I'm also on drugs. So whatever. Um, I do believe, I do believe that God's going to do some incredible things. Last week we talked about, or Jay actually talked about that we're not to esteem ourselves. And it stuck with me all week. We are not to be like this little pixel that's making ourselves more and outshining everybody else. That's because the display of Christ is the church. And we're not to shrink back and make less of what God is doing in our life because of what the displaying of Christ. And so we are to be participants in what God is doing in the church. I think that's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Before that, we talked about this church just a building. And we, and we talked about going into this whole series. Um, I just want to remind you, we do have shirts that are out there that say, I love my church. If you want a shirt, uh, they're $5. And we want you to get a shirt. And you can wear it around. And when people say, I haven't heard someone say, I love my church. You can say with bravery, I love my church and I sat on the first three rows. And if you come, you'll know what that means. Okay, you can tell them all that. But tonight we're getting into this thing called, I love my church, the temple of God. We're going to talk about what was the temple of God, what is the temple of God. But I, I think to understand this, I'm going to put, I'm going to just say a phrase that you're probably like, oh, at least he said it and not me publicly. I love my church, but I don't love trusting the people in it. Or I love my church, but I don't love depending on the people in it. And if you go, if you go, I've never felt that before. You, you probably will feel those words coming out. They don't taste good coming out of your mouth, but you'll probably feel those coming out. And you're sitting in the room with a lot of people who feel that way, who feel like I'm getting at the point that I do love my church. In fact, I I just want to say thank you. We get a lot of people who say, I love Discover Church in the Highlands. We're really thankful for that. And then other emails we get, we just don't talk about from stage. But the ones that you write that we like talking about, I just want to say thank you. But if you're honest with yourself, you may be here and say, yeah, but trusting the people in the church, I don't, that's really hard to do. The temple of God was a place where the presence of God would go in the Old Testament. And so all religions would have this same sort of thing where they would draw life from a text or from stories and build in community. All religions do this. But the temple of God, the presence of God would go there and people would go to get the presence of God and to be with the presence of God and those sort of things. So think of it by way of, if you think in terms of children's um, activities. You can think of Lincoln Logs, okay? If we had Lincoln Logs up here, you could, that was like the temple of God. You go there to experience the presence of God. And some people think 
that this is the temple of God, that we come to a building to experience the presence of God, and that that's what the New Testament is referring to when it talks about the temple. Now, would we say we experience the presence of God here? Yes. But the temple of God now is more like this. It's more like a Jenga game. Now, be very careful with that one. Because if you make that fall, the whole illustration is gone. (laughs) Not because I'm nervous, and I do trust you, but let's just say thank you so much. Give him a round of applause. No, but for real, you guys did so good. Don't pop it. Don't pop it. Okay. This is more like the temple of God. In the New Testament, to say, I love my church, and to talk about the church by way of the temple of God is like this. Blocks. Living stones depending on one another. Now, what's scary about talking about it in these terms is actually you look at this and you go, it looks kind of fragile. And as they're playing, you get a little nervous because you go, if you take out the wrong one, things crumble. And the whole idea is based on this. These blocks are dependent on these blocks that are dependent on these blocks that are dependent on these blocks. And If you're somewhere in here, people depend on you and you depend on people. It becomes extremely scary talking about the temple of God in these terms. But the New Testament does this. The New Testament actually only talks about the temple of God once referring to you as an individual. Multiple times referring to the body of Christ depending on one another in vulnerable Uh, status and postures with one another, trusting one another to where it's actually saying, if we choose not to participate in the people of God, there will be a hole that is filled, that needs to be filled. We will feel the impact of that. So I just want to confess to you, I get really nervous when I think about the church in these terms. Because what's way easier is to think about the church in terms of American individuality and to say, I go when it's convenient. I'm part of the people when it's convenient, when they do what I like, when they do something I don't like, when they say something I don't, all those things. That's way more convenient to say, like, I I, I can go and do my own thing, right? And so much about Christian culture, what you're used to is actually persuading you in that way. But this This is what scripture speaks of. Now that you're being built as living stones, as living stones upon the cornerstone, this is what scripture speaks of. So this is what I want you to know. And I want to revolve around this the whole night. And I want you to remember this. I want you to dream about this or or have nightmares about this. I don't care. I just want you to think about this. That we actually compromise God's presence in the neighborhood when we don't commit to being the church. So throw that slide up, if you will. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We compromise God's presence in the neighborhood when we don't commit to being the church. That the scripture that you just read actually is telling us God's presence inhabits his people this way, makes up for their weaknesses. His power is made perfect in their weaknesses. All this is happening this way. And when you go on an individual mission or what we call church hopping, or church shopping, or whatever that is that people do, when you start doing that and removing yourself, you might be compromising. And I would say you are compromising the power of God's presence in the neighborhood when you don't commit to being the church. So when we say, I love my church, 
Tonight, I hope we're able to say, and I love depending on broken people. Oh, that's like really hard to say. But then I'm like, I'm a broken person. And, and there are times where you'll depend on me and I'll let you down. And I hope that you see it's because I'm, I'm part of this temple. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just a broken person. And I hope you would say the same thing. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just a broken person. Um, I, I'm currently uh, taking a master's in ministerial leadership, which is really, it's a funny story because I, I, I went to someone who um, is just, just a hero of the faith for me, part of the church, the pastor of the church that sent us to um, Denver. And I said, I just want help with leadership stuff. And he called me the next week and said, how about I just put you through a master's program? I'm going like, that's how bad I am. That's how, that he's like, it's not a few conversations. We're just going to put you through a master's program. So I said, okay, fine. Well, I'll do that. If you'll, if you'll pay for it, I'll do it. <laughs> and, uh, and for the program, I had to fly to Atlanta to go to this conference. And on the way to Atlanta, which this is really strange. I, I'm like, the kids are in the back. Lisa's taking me. And I just got really emotional. This is after buying the plane tickets and hotel set up and all this stuff. And I go, I'm just going to tell my professor I can't make it. I, I love being with the family. I don't want to go to Atlanta. I don't want to do this. Thing. She got really emotional. And then, and then she's like trying to be like, no, you're fine. You're like, this is, a, you're going to be back in a few days, you know? And uh, if you're a parent at all, you know, you'll just have these moments. And in that moment though, I was able to soldier on and and uh, it's not really a big deal other than on my way to Atlanta going over this message, I, I realized that's, that's the type of emotion that's behind this passage. The type of emotion that goes, I, I, I won't, I'm a living stone being built with and on the other people for the good of the city and the good of the neighborhood. That you can't be removed without emotion. You follow me? This is what the text is saying. Let's uh, throw that slide up, or let's go to the text if we will. First Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built. Now, now think about this. This is actually present tense. You can't look at this and be like, hey, that was nice for the disciples and those people, but it's just different now. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're being built, okay? So this is what it makes me ask. I, I, I ask this question. How dependent should we actually be on each other? <laughs> how dependent should we actually be on each other? It's very important that you see in verse 5, it tells us you're being built. You're living stones. You're a Jenga game. I don't know if you want us to think of it that way. You're like this. Again, Scripture points to this sort of being built like a house, living stones, like you're participating in trusting one another, depending on one another. You're being built. Living stones. Now, it it would have been one thing. It's totally different. If to say, think about it as if you're just stones thrown into place, using your gifts where where you would, and that same stone can be used elsewhere, here, there, and wherever. It's not what it's saying. It's actually saying you're being, you have as the, you have a place here 
in the church as the mission of God is being is advancing. So here, here's the thing. I, I'm not real fond of saying the mission of this church is because the mission of God's always been the same thing. Seek and save those who are lost. Bring them into the family, right? So this is the mission of God. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has the church now, okay? And so as, you're, as the church is part of the mission of God, you, you are being built. Last week, Jay told us, think about it as if there's a projection on a screen and you're a pixel that's making up the greater image known as Jesus Christ to the world. And now scripture tells us, think about it as if you are a stone, a living stone, a living stone, meaning you do have the ability to wiggle yourself out of this. You're a living stone, but you also have your, the ability to strengthen yourself in the power of the Spirit, which it says in the power of Jesus Christ. You have the ability to do that too. A living stone, okay? And as you do that, you will find yourself being more and more tense at times and frustrated and wondering, how dependent should I be on people and how dependent should people be on me? Here's an example. We're part of something called the Neighborhood City Collective. And so there are different churches with different denominations, with different pastors, but we're working for the good of the city. And we actually do life together intentionally and a lot and go on retreats together and meet together at least twice a month. And, um, and we talk about sermon series together, all this stuff doing together. And um, it's a beautiful thing, but I remember there's, I went to Jay and I, I told him, I had, to, I had to actually voice to him, you haven't done anything to make me mistrust you, but I'm having trouble trusting you because it's scary. It's scary being a living stone. That's actually a very scary thing. It's not easy because I've been burnt in the past whenever I commit to doing these sort of things. And he said, that's okay. We'll learn how to do this together. And I want you to know the same would go for you. I want to acknowledge in the room that it is scary. It's scary to trust people. It's scary to ask people to call them and say, hey, can you watch our kids? We're sick. That's scary because you get vulnerable and you're like, I don't want to come across needy. You are needy. We're all needy, okay? We all need help. You can't do it on your own. It's scary to say, I don't have a job or I've lost my job. I just got fired and I need help. I need help. It's scary to say I, we can't put food in the fridge. Can, can someone help us put food in the fridge? This is scary because it makes you vulnerable, right? You're speaking to the stones below you and you're saying, I need help. I need help. I need help. It's scary when you say, um, my parents are going through a divorce and they were my role model for love. It's scary when you say, my kids have left the faith and their faith is crumbled. This is all scary. It makes you vulnerable. This is exactly what you're supposed to be. Living stones built on one another. Living stones. And let me just say on the other side, when people come to you and they're vulnerable and they want to trust you and they're, do not, do not turn around and say that person's so needy. Don't do that. When people come to you and they say, I, I really would ask that you would help me in this situation. Don't think like, well, hey, I'm, like eight to five is my gig. And then after five, I'm home. No, no. For this to work the way that it's supposed to, there's actually not supposed to be logs removed all the time, but you have the ability to because you're a living stone. 
But for this to work and for the presence and power of God to inhabit this sort of dwelling means that when you are inconvenienced or when you inconvenience people, which by the way, when you make a phone call as small as can you drive me to the airport or as large as I need you to come over at two in the morning, something happened, it's inconvenient. And God's power inhabits that, right? God's strength infuses that because they're living and they're depending on one another. This is what the scriptures are saying. And um, C.S. Lewis, he, he talks about this a lot. Now, here's the thing. I do like quoting C.S. Lewis in messages. So if it's a few weeks without quoting them, I just feel like something's missing. We got scripture, but we need Lewis. So here's what we have. Nobody gets this across better than C.S. Lewis in the book, Four Loves. He found out something interesting about his friend Charles who died. Okay, this is what it says. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Now, I want you to actually kind of visualize what he's saying, okay? In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call any person completely into activity. I want other lights of my own to show all the facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. You follow? Far from having more of Ronald, far from having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. I have less of Ronald. We depend on each other. And the stones start to smile and get sad and laugh. Far from having more of Ronald, meaning like I should have more of his time, right? Now that Charles is gone, I have less of him because Charles brought out the true Ronald. In this friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increase the fruition which each has of God, for every soul in heaven sing to him in our own way, communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying holy, holy, holy to one another. Being able to praise God, communicate to God in unique and specific ways means those who are dependent on you are able to see different facets of God. Can you imagine if this is true, what C.S. Lewis is saying, you imagine if you lived your whole life trying to figure God out on your own? Like, how do you wrestle with God on your own? I mean, he'll pin you to the ground. I don't know. I don't even know what that looks like. How do you wrestle with God on your own? And, and how, do you, how do you experience the power and presence of God on your own? How do you do this? Something funny happened earlier. Walter, who runs the sound, which, by the way, the, the media team here is awesome. You can give them a round of applause. I think they're awesome. We always look back. We only look back whenever like, we're like, there's crackling in the mic and there's no music. And then we give them like the stare, right? But I just want to acknowledge you guys are amazing. Earlier on, we were talking about how the code was changed for the building. And I jokingly told Walter, I said, why didn't you pray and let the spirit give you the code to the building? And he said, I did. And the spirit said he works through his people. <laughs> and he goes, I didn't go to seminary or anything, but I just thought, you know. And, and he's completely right. He's completely right. There is this idea about spirituality that I can just pray and I can experience God on my own. I can do this. And then you read a passage like we're reading now and you go, I'm just 
like picture just a stone sitting there on nothing with nothing. And you go, how is that going to be a refuge for people? The idea of this living stone making a building, being a refuge for the lost and the lonely and the marginalized. Living stones, living stones. If you find it terrifying to depend on the people of God, I want you to ask yourself the alternative. How dependent should we be on the world? You're going to depend on one or the other. You're going to lean on one or the other. And you go, no, I'm not. I'm going to do it on my own. That's a very worldly mentality. You're depending on the world now. So you're going to go on one or the other. Let's keep reading that passage if we can. First Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 6 in Scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believes this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Speaking of Christ. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now, I want you to know what we're getting into now is is if you're like, but how, how much should I depend on the world? This is what it's getting to. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light? So just want to point something out. If you wonder, why do we sing songs? That sounds weird. It, it does sound weird, but all throughout Scripture, speaking of the church, singing songs and spiritual hymns is throughout there. Once you were not a people. Once you were not like this. You weren't a people. You weren't joined together once you weren't, okay? And you could all probably think of a time when you weren't. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not. We would invite you to be part of this royal priesthood. But now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy. So once you did lean and depend and trust on the world. But now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So I'd read that and I think, how dependent should I be on the world? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. How dependent should we be on the world? Well, here's, <laughs> here's what's interesting. You have all throughout history, different ways of approaching it, but you have one school of thought that says we d- we're not part of the world at all, right? We actually, we're, we don't participate in things of the world. So by way of that Discover Church went to First Friday and has a donut trailer, and we say we want to participate in the justice of the city and all that stuff. There's a, a group of people who would say, no, 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 don't participate in the world. You, you are the chosen people. There's that side. And then there's another side that says, no, be in the world. But, but not of the world. But that part's whispered, right? But be in the world, be in the world. But not of the world, but be really in the world. And you don't need to go to church. What you do in life is church. You don't need to sing praises to God. You can put on whatever music you want and it'll just make you feel like you're with Jesus. Like there's like all this stuff, which by the way, it's fine. But, but that's whole way of thinking and that's wrong as well. That's wrong as well. And then you get into a text like this and it says words like, Exiles, foreigners, aliens, aliens, okay? (laughs) Like, I I don't know what what you think about aliens. This is an alien, 
Okay? When I see when I see a movie with an alien in it, there's a theme. I hope you don't stay. Okay? There's a theme. Now, if you loved Arrival, it's fine. I'm glad they didn't stay. I hope you don't stay. The only alien I like is E.T. Because he's a cute little alien that fits in the front of your bike and you can kill him if you need to. Okay? <laughs> That's the only one I like. This is what comes to mind. Now, Scripture speaks of aliens in this other way that says I, that the world should be saying, I hope you don't go. That you're the type of alien in the world where the world would be saying to you, I hope you don't go. Let's go to the next one. This would be kind of like a foreigner. And the phrase that comes to mind is not from these parts, are you? Now, you go, I don't think that. There are a lot of people that would think that. And a lot of times when you see a foreigner, that if you were to put a cowboy up there, if you were to put whatever, that you would say, oh, not from these parts, not from this neighborhood, not from this city, are you? That the scripture speaks of a foreigner in ways that it actually says, that they should be looking at you and saying, I don't know what I'd be doing without you. So they're wanting you not to go. They're not knowing what they'd do without you. It's, it's neither of these things. It's not the way that you look at the world and you go, I have nothing to do with these people. Because Jesus actually prayed, do not take them out of this world. He prayed specifically the opposite of what you probably pray, where you're like, take me out of this group of people. Take me out of this, take me out of this family and this family's frustrating. Jesus specifically said, no, do not take them out of this world. And then if you go, that was only for the disciples. He ends that prayer by saying, not only for these, but for those who would follow me. And you go, oh, so that doesn't apply. And whenever you're saying, well, what if we just live embedded in the world, just like the world? And he said, but, this is John 17, but they're in this world, but not of the world. So the Lord sanctify them by your word. Sanctify them by your word. So what does the word of God do to us that creates this alien mentality, this foreigner mentality that, that by the way, what he's saying is when you're here, you're so different you're so different. We were referred to at one time long, long ago as another species. <laughs> You're so different, but we don't want you to leave. What does the Word of God, the sanctification of the Word of God do to us? Here's some of the things that it did to the early church. Let's look at the ways they lived. Nonviolent entertainment. So let me just say, when, when people would go to coliseums and they would watch all the violence take place and they would cheer it on and they would go, boo, death, death. Uh, nonviolent entertainment was one of the things that the church lived. No military. They actually believed in loving your enemy. And so they said, I can't be baptized with a sword, is what one of the church fathers said. Opposed abortion and infanticide. So um, don't have to go into detail here, but I'm just saying they were for the life, whether you're boy or girl, they're for your life. Empowered women. So this is like something that we do here at the church, and we believe that everyone should be doing, empowering both men and women. And this is something that the church has been doing longer than the world. That the women, women in a culture would look and say, don't go, don't go. This is very different. You look very different. Don't go. 
So if you notice, they're living in the world. They're making their dwelling in the world, but they're not living like the world and they're not living abstaining from being in the world. They don't create their own neighborhoods. It's not like we're like, hey guys, let's buy all the homes in Highland and let's all live here and let's like push everybody out. Yeah, that's not our mission. Our mission is to have neighbors who think different than us, that we can walk with them towards a Jesus-looking God against sex outside of marriage. And this is still really difficult for the culture to see. But if one thing can be said about this is, you, is they would look at this and say, yeah, that's different. Maybe that's where they say alien and not foreigner. I don't know. Against, against same-sex practice. Generous to the poor. Insisting upon Jesus as the way to salvation. Insisting upon Jesus as the way to salvation. How dependent should we be on the world? It almost seems like our dependency is not on the world at all. It seems like our dependency is on Christ and our dependency is on kingdom ethics and our dependency is on what he will do if we live like him in this world. That's where our dependency lies. We don't lean on the world. We lean on each other. That to live these things out, we have to be willing to admit, I'm weak here, Right? i be careful. I'm weak here. And I'm, I'm not going to pull myself out of the fellowship, but I'm weak here and I need to be strengthened. And that's where the presence of God and the power of God strengthens us as a people because the people you're sitting next to will say, I'll walk with you through this. I'm not going to judge you for that. I'm going to help you with this. I'm weak here. It's hard. It's difficult. It's difficult because we refuse to lean on the world. Depending on what part of the world you go to will depend on which one of these is going to be easier. Okay, so when we're in Denver and we talk about, let's talk about loving our enemies, right? In Denver, there's a lot of people that will be like, yeah, bro, love your enemies, right? Doesn't matter if you go like whatever neighborhood you go to, most people will probably go, love your enemies. Yeah, that's great. But if you talk about family values, you talk about abstaining from sex outside of marriage, you talk about those sort of things in Denver, they're like, you're so close-minded, right? They're, you're so close-minded, you're so old school, that stuff doesn't exist anymore. All the, they go there and, and, and you go, I, I need the power and presence of God to inhabit me with my people in these areas. You go to another country, let's say that you go to the Middle East, talk about family ethics, talk about sexual practices, they're going to be 100% like, yes, yes, we don't do that, we don't do that, right? We abstain, purity, purity, purity. You talk about loving your enemies, and they're going to be like, no, my enemies have killed my family. My enemies have done atrocities to the city. I don't love my enemies. And the church there would be leaning as living stones on each other. You follow me? But to say I love my church, but not be able to trust it doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. It's hard. It's really difficult. So in all these things, we find a dependency on Christ. And that's where I want to go to next. How do we actually go about depending on Christ? How do we do that? Because at some point, this Jenga game has a foundation. At some point, right? At some point, if everything else is failing, we have to say, what's the cornerstone? What's the foundation? What do we gain our power from? If you're saying that the the power of God and the presence of God is compromised in our neighborhood when we don't become the church. Where are we getting this power from? And the scripture says, 
from Christ. From the cornerstone that most people reject, from Christ. This is where we get our power from. So there's three ways that we get this. Way number one, admit you already have a cornerstone. Admit you already have a cornerstone. Admit that there's something that you're leaning on right now. Admit that there is something that you draw life from and power from right now. We have to be willing to admit that, that you at this point in time actually have something that gives you life. You have something that gives you strength whenever you had a bad day. The thing you go to, right, when you say everything is falling apart, all hell is breaking loose, and you go to that thing. Now, we could, we could talk about what is seemingly small like social media and maybe the high you get from that. And you say, yeah, because my life looks better than other people's lives. We can go there. Or you can say, there's this person I call every single time. Or there's this thing I do or an addiction I have. There's these things. You have a cornerstone, right? You have a cornerstone. And I want for us as a people to be able to admit we have one. Now, we want it to be Christ. This is what it would mean to move towards Jesus. But we all have a cornerstone. This is what Martin Luther said. Um, He said, the way you can find out what your cornerstone is, is your cornerstone is your foundation. Okay. And then he continued by saying, the way you know what your cornerstone is, is when the chips are down, what do you look for for vindication? What is the thing you're looking to, to vindicate your life? What is the thing? So I know for me, I have a tendency, um, when I'm doing schoolwork, I'm going, I, I want an A, really bad. So like, I, I really want, and there are some projects you're like, you just need to be like, it's okay to get a B or C. It's fine. Like this, but I'm like, I want it. And if I'm not careful, and this may seem small to other people, if I'm not careful, I look to that to vindicate me. Then I look at the grade and I go, it's awesome. Not it's awesome. I'm awesome, right? This is the things that I think. And you go, that's so stupid. No, no, it's not stupid. We all have, I mean, it's stupid, but we all are stupid, I guess. <laughs> that you have children in your life that you say, my world's falling apart, but at least my kids are awesome. At least they're better than the other child that was in Kid Venture. I don't know. Or you go, my world's falling apart, but at least I can play music. Or the world's falling apart, but at least I can do art. Or the world's falling apart, but at least I have this significant other that gives me life. The world's falling apart. What is the thing? What's the thing you look to that you say that's got to vindicate me? And I want you to answer that for yourself. <laughs> I want you to think about that right now. What is that thing? And then I want you to be able to think through, how do I replace that thing with Jesus? Here's the second part. Find Jesus more precious than all the rest. Find him more precious than all the rest. Find Jesus to be more precious than the stone that you're relying on right now. So, if we all we're committed to the cornerstones we have right now. We're all committed to these things that we're living out. This is going to be a horrible church. Doesn't matter. We have Q&A and great worship and, and we like are proud of our neighborhood. It'd be a horrible church because we're not relying on Jesus. But if we all recognize 
We say, I, I do have a cornerstone, and I know how to replace that with someone more precious. His name is Jesus. And you have to be convinced that he actually is more precious. If you went to the doctor and the doctor said, you're sick. So I went to the doctor yesterday and the doctor said, he like looked in my nose and goes, you have a sinus infection. And I'm like, I, I know. I'm like, don't tell I just need you to fix me. And then he says, it's just going to hurt for a while. And here's some drugs you need to take. And I left kind of angry. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, just fix me. But you go to the doctor and the doctor said, something's wrong with you. And um, it's a life or death situation. And we have this medication that's going to fix you. Okay. But this medication costs $100,000. Okay. And you're like, what about my deductible? Your insurance doesn't cover it. Some of you, you're like, I haven't used a deductible in forever, but that would be the time. And your insurance, you go through all these phone calls because this never happens. You go through all these phone calls and then you're like, you're not covering this? So then you find out, I got to pay $100,000 for this medication. Well, what's going to happen if you go, I got to sell my car? Well, it's a life or death situation. So you're going to sell your car. You go, I got to sell my house. It's a life or death situation. You got to sell your house. What do you have to do in order to get the medication you need to keep living? You, you sell all that you have. It's almost as if when Jesus said, kingdom of God is like a treasure planted in a field that the farmer went away and sold all that he had in order to buy the field. That it just makes sense that you say, whatever I have to give up in order for Jesus to be the cornerstone. So when people that I trust let me down, because if people are your cornerstone, you're in trouble. When people that you trust let you down and you start depending on them, you don't start saying things like, see, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites and see, I depended on them. And I, no, no, the, the cornerstone is not the people. The cornerstone is Jesus. And you find Jesus more precious than all the people. And whatever you have to give up to get there is worth it. He is more precious. He is more precious. He was rejected by men. Think about this. So I'm, I'm going to elevate the beauty of Christ in your hearts right now. He was rejected by men. For your sake, for your darkest moment, he was rejected. To be able to testify to the world a love for you that they will never have for you. For your sake. He was rejected. People stumble on him. They have a hard time with him. But he loves them in the face of that. That Jesus would walk on this earth to show us what a Jesus-looking God is and to not let us continue to grasp around all of our life looking for some sort of God to fill our hearts that he would show us. And in the whole process, he would go towards the marginalized. He would go towards the people like you and me who don't have it together, who are totally broken, who we say, we may not say we're homeless, but man, our souls feel homeless. That we would say when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, we go, I, did you just call me blessed? Because I feel that. That we'd be able to say those things. He, he made these sort of claims about God and being God. And he, he affirmed all these things by coming back from the dead and conquering the thing that will continue to haunt us until we join him. He made all these claims. That someone with that sort of power says, I'm after you in your darkest moment. The cornerstone you rely on right now is not after you in your darkest moment. They'll crumble in your darkest moment. 
but they won't give you strength and let you rely on it. You have to find Jesus precious. And here's the third one. You have to align with the precious cornerstone. Align with the precious cornerstone. You need to get lost in who Jesus is. You need to live your life loving, learning, deeply affirming this man named Jesus. If we don't start by aligning ourselves with the cornerstone, all this, all this is gone. All this is gone. And as a church, if we don't align ourselves with the precious cornerstone named Jesus, we'll fail. We'll crumble. It doesn't matter how much you rely on a person that you say, they're totally reliable. They're not totally reliable. They're human and they're broken and they're not as precious as Jesus. And, and they cannot support you and they cannot support this church and they cannot give power to this church. Everything will crumble if we don't align ourselves with Jesus, if we don't show each other mercy, if we don't give the grace that he gives, if we don't strengthen, we're aligning ourselves with him. And when that becomes really hard, we confess that to one another. It's very, very hard for me to live and love like Jesus. This is why meetups are really important. We help one another align ourselves with Christ. Help one another align ourselves with Christ. Otherwise, we compromise the power of God in the neighborhood and in the city. Um, Annabeth, if you want to start getting the team up, I'm going to have my friend Andy come up because I have a question for him. Andy, can you come up here? Andy is from uh, the church that we went to and were part of when we were in Texas. Everybody say, hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. So Andy is a missions pastor, and here's the question I have for him. Andy, when, when you're, um, whether it's the mission field or, by the way, he he, his heart breaks for local transformation and foreign transformation in other countries. And whenever uh, you see the people of God working together, what's the difference between seeing the power of God inhabit them and seeing someone come up to you and say, I'm doing this thing on my own? You just explain the power, the difference in the power of God there. That's a great question. Anybody else have a thought on that? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Gosh, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind, and this is, this is just a little bit more personal and, and maybe a little more selfish, but having been on a lot of different missions trips, it, anybody ever been on a missions trip where you travel to another place? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, this was one story, it was in Poland, and we were there for about six weeks in winter, and there were eight of us, including two Polish ladies, living in this one-bedroom apartment. Um, and it's winter out, it's this tiny, uh, just mm. like a communist, old, like, cement uh, block building, just trapped in this room uh, every evening for hours with eight different people that you don't really know. And I think sometimes missions trips are like a, it's like the difference between going for a jog and, and doing a marathon. It's just this very specific amount of time, a specific mission with these specific people. And so you're living in this community with people and, and sometimes you don't choose them, right? Like you don't always get to choose the people that, that are in the same church with you. Yeah. And you don't get to choose the people that go on this mission trip with you. Um, and so it's just a lot more intense because when you're living in, in close vicinity with those kinds of people, um, gosh, it can just be annoying. 
and you can be the one that's annoying to somebody else or somebody else can be the one that's annoying to you. So I was in this, in this season where for six weeks we're living in this apartment and I'm reading this book called Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. <laughs> and it was all about how do you live in community and how do you love people. Um, and if I had been reading that book at home, uh, maybe in the mornings when I'm having my coffee and I'm sitting at home and I'm reading this and thinking um, about how to love people and how to live in community, I think I would probably have thought I got this. Like I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good with this. Like I'm pretty. But you were in Poland. I'm pretty patient, right. but I'm not. I'm right. with this group of like eight people huh. that are rubbing me all the wrong way yeah. and really frustrated. And I'm reading this and thinking, man, on a personal level, like forget like the mission. Like on a personal level, like I'm not where I need to be. Mm -hmm. And I think being in community and and allowing what you're talking about today, the power of that to like grasp our hearts, realizing yeah. that I need people. And I need to learn to live in, in this relationship because I, I need to grow in that. Yeah. If our mission is to become love, not just to do loving things, but to become love, man, I'm, I'm small. That's awesome. And I need my capacity to be expanded. And so living in that, reading that, and seeing, man, when we're together in that community, even with people that were like, man, I, I didn't choose that person to be my roommate uh, in this confined situation. But, but God, can you help me to love them? Mm. There's something that I need in that, that that causes me to grow. And when I look back on trips, sometimes it's like after the fact, you get the perspective. Looking back, I think, why, why, why do we love it so much? Why do we love that experience? I think it's not just the mission, but it's that community. Mm -hmm. Then you come back and you, you're isolated. And you go back into yeah. your old patterns and you're kind of keeping people at a distance that you didn't have the opportunity to do. And during that time, I look back and I see... Man, that's where my heart came alive. That's where mm. I grew. That's where my capacity expanded, where I became bigger than who I was before. Yeah. And so I think on a personal level, it's huge. But I think just in community, like on a mission trip, you're on a mission, right? Like you've mm. got a specific purpose. And as you said earlier, I love what you said, that the, the mission of God has the church, right? And that yep. mission is to seek and save the lost. And how many people are there that are looking for a place to come into? Yeah. That, that, is, that they can feel welcomed in. And they know that, listen, I'm not perfect. I might annoy somebody, but there's still love here. There's still that ability for me to, to, to grow. There's That's that right. ability for me to come into a place to experience the presence of God. And I think uh, it's, it's twofold. It's, it's for me personally, I need that. Hmm. Um, and then as I'm doing that, I actually become something that offers a, a place of refuge to those that are hurting, to those that are broken wow. together in our relationships as broken people. So I don't know if that, That's helpful. That, does that answer the question? Yep. Yep. I really appreciate that. So I, um, thanks Andy, Chris, Andy, I invited Andy to come help me cause I, well, I'm throwing you in with the lions. You ready? Okay. Okay. While Andy gets up here, I just want to thank you guys for putting in your, turning in your questions, submitting those. I find that, um, when I hear some others, some other questions that are set up here, I find myself when I'm looking at something in a new way or a question comes up in me that I didn't even realize I had. So it's a great way to wrestle and kind of to trust each other and depend on each other in that. So mm, yeah. with that, our first question tonight is, if you've been hurt by church people in the past, what are some practices that could help you learn to retrust the church now? I'm going to pass this to Andy and it's because I'm sick. I'm making you go first. <clears throat> Yeah. Gosh, these are great questions. Um, and I think ultimately even going back to what we were talking about before and, and just kind of that whole idea of, of God is expanding our own hearts, right? He's, he's, he's making us, I think he wants us to be powerful people and he wants us to be people who become love. And in order for that to happen, I think it's, it's only when that's tested 
that, that you get to see what's really inside and it's tested through disappointment and it's tested through the failure of other people. And I think like what person was talking about, the foundation being Jesus, mm-hmm. the foundation is not other people, the foundation is Jesus. And so for me, it's coming back to that place and saying, and every opportunity is either a chance for me to grow in the capacity to love or to shrink back from it. And I think the enemy would want us to shrink back and to, to use those memories as catalysts for us to avoid and to, to step back. And I think the Holy Spirit would use those moments to draw us in and say, hey, in this, I'm going to increase your capacity to love. Mm-hmm. In this, I'm going to give you peace. And, and so I think for me, it's, it's coming back to the Lord, the practice of saying, all right, Lord, in this, I bring this perspective to you, or I bring this situation to you. And I know that this is for your intention in growing me and enabling me to love and trust more. So what are you saying to me through that? So I think it's just going back to Jesus honestly. And I, I would just say it, it's never going to stop. I think people are always going to let us down. So if we're drawing our strength from Jesus, we're able to confess that to God as a practice. I confess this person's let me down. I'm having a hard time. Practice spiritual disciplines of forgiveness and mercy. And it's what he says that helps us to become more dependable too because people didn't just let us down. We've let people down. So what's the next question? Our next question is, where does the nation Israel come into play when it comes to church? I've heard it mm-hmm. said that we are the new Israel. What does that mean? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, you, I, I'll jump in there. Okay. Uh, nation of Israel. I'm going to sit down and listen. Okay. <laughs> the nation of Israel is the people of God that God was establishing a commitment through, and um, and he was showing the world what God looks like, what the covenant of God looks like. And this was his appointed people. Now, when we talk about the church, the nation of Israel was not obviously under the covenant of Christ that we understand. And was it actually in Hebrew speaks about the prophets were speaking of um, Christ, foreshadowing, never able to experience the way that we do. Hebrews talks about this. And so we as a church actually don't, we're not looking, um, we're not wondering who, what does God look like? We're not just grasping around and we're not we're not having to run to the world for certain things we know what the covenant of god looks like in jesus christ we know that the people of god now is the mobilized local church and is part of the kingdom of god at large and it's not about um it's not about a specific group of people one nation and one race it's not about that it's about multiple nations multiple races becoming a people of God under the umbrella of the kingdom of God. So um, Israel was showing the world the glory of God. The church is doing the same thing, but the church is not a race of people. The church is the people. Does that make sense? The church is the people of the world. Yeah. Anything you want to add? I would just say, I think in the past, like it's, it's a promise. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's there, the people, Israel was demonstrating who God is, yeah. but by receiving the promises of God, and mm-hmm. you had to be of a certain bloodline, you had to be in, you had to be the tribe. Yeah. In the, in the in the the Israel of the past, but now it's exciting yeah. because you think, man, anybody who calls upon the name of Jesus is that is that child of promise mm. that God wants to use to now show His will in the earth. Yeah, that's amazing. Lord, would you be with us? Replace what we trust right now with Your presence. In Jesus' name, Amen.